Hi there, it's Matt here, and welcome back to a new episode that discusses a topic that I have consistently been asked about over the years. What is the topic? It is polyphasic sleep. So the question then, one sleep, two sleeps, five sleeps? Wait, five sleeps, really? Let me go back to the terminology as we love here, which is breaking down words and their meaning. The phasic part of today's topic means the number of phases of sleep that are occurring within a 24-hour period. The poly part of the phrase refers to the idea of many such phases. Hence the term poly, many, phasic, many phases of sleep, and here within a 24-hour period. Monophasic sleep, which is one single bout of sleep at night across the 24-hour period, is how most of us sleep. Then there is biphasic sleep, and biphasic sleep commonly refers to one longer bout of sleep at night and then one siesta-like nap in the afternoon. Previously, I've discussed biphasic sleep and the idea of napping on the podcast before. And there, I described that perhaps there is some evidence that we human beings may be physiologically programmed to sleep in a biphasic manner. So one long single bout of sleep at night and then this sort of shorter nap in the afternoon. Many Mediterranean Latin cultures do this commonly. And certainly that type of sleep we human beings, we can adopt easily and without damage to our health or wellness. In fact, often to the opposite result in terms of improvements in health and wellness. And then came the, and I don't like this term because I think it's maybe pejorative, which is the sleep hacker movement for want of a better word. And if you trace the literature and you go back in the historical record, this idea of sleep hacking and polyphasic sleep seems to have first emerged in the public sphere in the early 1940s. At least that seems to, and I could be wrong here, but in all of my research, it seems to be the earliest record I can find of a demonstration or a description of exactly what was going on here. And what was the motivation? Well, the motivation to switch to some form of polyphasic sleep was productivity, that individuals were trying to find a way to extract more waking hours from every 24-hour day. You can see where this is all going to end up, but let's go with it. Let's be open-minded. Perhaps it's hyperbolic, but in the eyes of such individuals, the arch enemy, the obstructing roadblock to waking productivity was this terrible villain called sleep. Sleep was seen as a cost. It was not seen, unfortunately, as how it should be seen, which is an investment. In other words, sleep was seen as a nuisance rather than a necessity. Sleep was a nemesis not a solace. In fact, to quote the great, or occasionally, as you will see, not so great, Samuel Johnson, he once said that sleep is just a bad habit. 
Uh, to which I would gently and kindly say, au contra, Mr. Johnson. Coming back, for some of these individuals, the solution they saw was polyphasic sleep, not monophasic sleep, not even biphasic sleep, but polyphasic sleep, meaning many, and as you will see, many short bouts of sleep across the 24-hour period, across the day and across the night. Going back to the historical record, I think perhaps based on my reading, the first ever polyphasic schedule that was formally described was that of the architect, writer, and inventor, Richard Buckminster Fuller. Before turning his attention to sleep hacking, Fuller was famous for his inventions that all centered on a simple geometrical design. And he called this geometric concept dimaxion. Let's break that word down too. Dimaxion is what we call a portmanteau. And a portmanteau simply means a phrase that blends together different words. And here we've got di, max, and eon. It's a blend of those three words. And here is what they stood for in the fuller tradition. Di was for dynamic, max was for maximum, and the ion part of it was for tension. <laughs> tension. In other words, he was trying to create designs that used a dynamic maximum force of tension to produce their structural benefits. And Fuller was really quite amazing. He used these three concepts of this dynamic maximum tension to create and guide a wonderful new design philosophy. And it's rather beautiful, by the way, if you look it up, both in terms of its form and also for me, someone who loves words, in terms of its naming. And if you look, and I'll save you sort of Googling, it's this beautiful geometric design principle that he created. And by way of the Dimaxion principle, he created things such as the Dimaxion house, the Dimaxion car, I kid you not, and the Dimaxion globe. And here I'm not talking about a little globe that sits on your desk. I'm talking about the type that you may have been in when it comes to, let's say, large tropical botanical gardens. These resemble these geodesic domes. A sponsor of today's show is Inside Tracker, which is a service that comes out to your home and they will analyze your blood and your DNA to know precisely what is going on inside of you. Hence the name Inside Tracker. They look at your blood, your metabolic signals, your hormonal health metrics, and then they give you a personalized, actionable set of lifestyle changes in response to that readout. And the goal there is to improve your health. I was looking and informed they have some new cardiovascular and new hormonal biomarkers that I'm particularly interested in. One that I'm focused on is something called ApoB, which is an absolutely critical heart health measure. And I get it done now with them somewhere between four to six times a year. Why? 
Well, my family unfortunately has a strong history of cardiovascular disease, so I am checking that pretty ruthlessly. And by the way, I do buy the product myself out of pocket. I don't want to fall prey to any of those trappings and undue incentives. Although with full admission, I still use my own discount code that you can use to get some money off. And that code for you is insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker. So just go over to insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker. And again, if you want to get that discount, it is insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker. Thanks very much. Fuller wanted maximum, not just in terms of his design principles, he also wanted it from his waking hours. He wanted to maximize the 24-hour day with as little sleep as possible and as much wake as possible. And if you want to go back, there's a great, I think it's 1943, I could be getting that wrong, and someone please correct me, a 1943 Time magazine issue. He was very clear in his unwavering desire to dispense with the uselessness of sleep. And here, true to his principle, he created the Dimaxion schedule. And the Dimaxion schedule was perhaps the first described version of a polyphasic sleep schedule. Since then, there have emerged many other flavors of polyphasic sleep. Many people have attempted different versions. And you may have heard of some of these. They go by names such as the Uberman schedule, the Everyman schedule, and the Triphasic schedule. They're all variations essentially on the same theme. Think about the 24-hour clock. And you're going to slice that 24-hour clock up almost like a pie chart. <laughs> Come on, Matt. It's not the best you can do. It's a desperately inelegant visual heuristic. But I hope you can picture just a pie chart sliced up into lots of different segments. And no matter which formulation of polyphasic sleep that you look at, they all share this common theme. They're all trying to divide up the 24-hour clock into multiple cycling segments, just like this pie chart image. So let's come back to Fuller. His Dimaxion schedule consisted of four 30-minute naps taken every six hours. Do you imagine that? So therefore, he was getting a total amount of just two hours of sleep every day. And he was awake, therefore, 22 hours every day. Now, this is alleged. No one measured his sleep. No one truly knows. I would be very surprised if someone could maintain that for some significant period of time in truth. To me, and probably to most of you, it sounds both miserable and unappealing in equal measure. But Fuller was firmly convinced that two hours of sleep was, quote-unquote, plenty. And allegedly, coming back to the statement, heavy emphasis on the word allegedly, he claimed that he kept up the Dimaxion schedule for almost two years. I have to say, I 
really don't believe in. What about those other polyphasic sleep schedules? Well, the Uberman schedule, which by the way, I should be very clear, that's Uberman with a U at the start of it. Not to be mistaken for the surname of my very dear friend and fellow wonderful podcaster, Andrew Huberman. And that's Huberman with a H, not Huberman or Uberman with a U. So the Uberman polyphasic schedule is perhaps one of the most extreme polyphasic schedules. It involves sleeping for just 20 to 30 minute segments and doing that just six times throughout the day. So not unlike the fuller mentality, you're only going to get somewhere between two to three hours maximum every single day. Then comes the everyman schedule. That involves sleeping a little bit longer. That involves sleeping for one long three-hour bout and then doing three additional 20-minute naps throughout the day. However, when you add that up, you're still only getting just 4.5 hours of sleep every day. And then there is a sort of an alternate version, I suppose, of biphasic sleep. It's a more anemic version, almost like a diet version of biphasic sleep. And that involves just one long period of sleep at night, perhaps somewhere in the region of about four hours, and then maybe just one short nap during the day of somewhere between 20 to 30 minutes. So you're still probably averaging maximum only about five hours of sleep in that version of what we call polyphasic, biphasic sleep. It's actually not really poly by definition because it's two rather than many. <laughs> and then there's something called the triphasic. Uh, you could see how this could go on. Don't worry, I'm going to stop after this and tell you more about the good and the bad. But then there's the triphasic schedule, and that involves one long bout of sleep at night, usually about four to five hours, and combined with around two 20 to 30 minute naps during the day. So in the triphasic schedule, you're probably getting slightly closer to what we would consider a vaguely reasonable amount of sleep, but it's none of these get close. Beyond gaining more hours of waking time during the day, why would anyone wish for such a Spartan serving of sleep each and every day? And a serving that is an amount that most of us know is far too little to sustain anything meaningful in terms of your health or your optimal functioning. Well, if you read testimonies of people online, the polyphasic practitioners, or materials from the Polyphasic Sleep Society, and there is such a thing out there. And again, not to be dismissive, you know, I'm a scientist, I'm open-minded. Simply, absence of evidence, as I've said before, is not evidence of absence. But what you'll find is that we're not lacking evidence in terms of a conclusion, but I'll get to that. So, Polyphasic practitioners and the polyphasic sleep schedule will suggest or claim that there are at least three benefits. So rather than any detriments or impairments, there are at least three gains that you get. First, there is the claim that your sleep is significantly better. And there have been descriptions of improvements in 
a rather amorphous and unheard of concept called sleep density, which I should note is not a thing in science or medicine. It's perhaps the asinine equivalent of describing concentrated water. But again, I'm not mocking here. The second benefit is a claim for your brain that your brain functions better when you are sleeping in a polyphasic manner. Some of the claims suggest that your mood is better and that you can enhance your memory. And then finally, there is the claim downstairs in your body that you will be healthier and it may allow you to live longer. Well, let's explore these claims. Let's go through them. Number one, number two, number three. Let's start with number one. How much, quote unquote, and you can see me here doing sort of inverted commas with my fingers in the air. How much better is your sleep? Well, if you read the handful of scientific studies that have actually put polyphasic-like schedules to the test, and there's probably now five to six of these studies, you'll come to discover that there is no such sleep-enhancing benefit. There is no such sleep-improving propensity. In fact, if you look at those studies, none of them report an improvement in sleep quality or in sleep quantity, nor do you see any improvements in the structure of sleep. In fact, sleep is markedly worse. One recent example is rather illustrative. Scientists looked at the effects of essentially what was a sort of a, a cycling three-hour polyphasic schedule of a little bit of sleep and then some wakefulness. It's perhaps not dissimilar maybe to the Uberman schedule that I described before. And they took a group of healthy adults, they put them on this cycle, and then they compared their sleep to when those very same individuals were allowed a standard eight-hour opportunity of sleep at night. When those individuals were shackled by the chains of three-hour polyphasic sleep, here's what happened. First, the participants were only able to sleep for about 56% of the time that they had available to sleep. Remember, they're already not getting the chance to sleep very much to begin with. But if you compare that to those same individuals when they were given a full standard eight hours of time in bed, across that eight-hour standard night of sleep, they slept for almost 90% of that time, 9-0 relative to just 5-6%, 56%. In addition, when those individuals were placed under the polyphasic schedule, they suffered a rather barren landscape of sleep stages. They lost over 20% of their deep non-REM sleep, and they lost almost 50% of the normal amount of REM sleep that they would get. And here again, relative to their standard full eight hours of sleep. And it really doesn't matter if you look across studies whether you split the polyphasic sleep schedule into three segments, sort of every three hours or every 90 minutes, every 60 minutes, or even every 30 minutes. Whether you're a young adult or an older adult, we see a common profile of insufficient sleep amount and inadequate amounts of particular sleep stages. And when you look on average across those studies, when people are trying to sleep in a polyphasic manner, 
they spend a lot more time in this light, shallow, non-REM sleep. They spend less time in deep non-REM sleep. They cannot generate the same amount of REM sleep or dream sleep. And it also takes them longer to fall asleep during those sleep episodes. And by the way, that's not surprising since many of those naps are scheduled during the waking day, which, as you know from this podcast, is when the circadian rhythm during the day in us human beings, because we are diurnal species, is strongly activating your brain for wakefulness. Your brain is not designed for sleep, for example, in the first half or the later half of the morning and certainly not in the late afternoon or early evening. So no wonder these individuals were struggling to fall asleep. Based on all of that, you could imagine it is a recipe for feeling rather lousy about your sleep, rather than feeling like a supercharged human being. And you would be right if you ask those individuals themselves when they're undergoing polyphasic sleep in these studies, and again, they're in these studies scientifically controlled, they report suffering from significantly worse quality of sleep. In other words, these individuals, they know themselves how unforgiving and also unsatisfying things are when you are trying to sleep in accordance or adopt a polyphasic schedule. But let's come back to some of those other claims, by the way. The claims of improved brain performance and improved body health. And we'll come back to the sleep in just a second. Well, Thankfully, some of my dear colleagues and very good friends back at Harvard Medical School decided to gather together all of the claims regarding polyphasic sleep and review all of the credible scientific studies that have evaluated those claims. And then they offered an overview summary. And in their systematic review, they broke it down essentially into two parts. And those two parts will cover those two final items, by the way, the effects on the brain, and the effects on the body. The other supporter of this podcast is the electrolyte drink company called Element. Now, it's actually four letters, L-M-N-T. I am a bit of an exercise fanatic, and I started buying their products some years ago, really, because of two key facts. First is the lack of sugar content. Element has no sugar. It also has no colorings, no artificial ingredients, which is unlike many of the other mixes out there that I was shopping. The second is because of the founders who have some serious years of biochemistry experience under their belts, and they know what they're doing. So if you want to give it a try, just go to drinklmnt.com forward slash Matt Walker, and you will get eight free sample packs on any order that you place. Once again, that is drinklmnt.com forward slash Matt Walker. Essentially, in those two parts, they firstly decided to ask, what is the evidence that supports the claim of benefits of polyphasic sleep? And then in the second half of the article, they turned the tables. They said, independent of any potential benefits of polyphasic sleep, are there any deficits? Are there any dangers associated with polyphasic sleep? Because keep in mind, after all, in medicine, we not only think about the benefits of an intervention, 
but we always have to weigh those benefits against the cost of any risk or harm that those interventions may cause. So looking at the claimed benefits is what they found. Just as I described before, they couldn't find any good evidence that polyphasic sleep helped consolidate your slumber or boost the efficiency or the quality of your sleep. As we mentioned, it doesn't improve the duration of your sleep. It doesn't improve the architecture of your sleep in terms of non-REM and REM. We've already discussed that. That's the sleep equation. Now let's look at the final two items. What about the body and what about the brain? And here again, there was no evidence supporting the claim that polyphasic sleep was good for either of those two things. Upstairs in the brain, there was no evidence that polyphasic sleep improved memory retention. It didn't improve mood and it didn't improve any other metric of cognitive performance that was measured. And then finally, downstairs in the brain, they could find no evidence in any of those control studies for the claim of a health benefit for any physiological system inside of your body. Okay, fair enough. That would suggest that perhaps if that was the end of the story, that polyphasic sleep didn't come with any improvements in your sleep or any improvements in your health, it doesn't necessarily mean then that it's unwise for people to sleep that way because at least it's not doing any harm. And that comes to the second half of their review. Rather than asking were there any benefits, they asked were there any detriments? Was there any harm? And here the scientists discovered some rather telling evidence. First upstairs in the brain, they found that people's mood started to decline and their decision-making capacities were impaired. Also, other aspects of memory and cognition seemed to become disrupted as a consequence. Next, what they found is that that type of polyphasic sleep and the misalignment in particular of a normal circadian phase they described was going to be associated with worse blood sugar control and also worse cardiovascular outcomes. And keep in mind, by the way, that two diseases that take a remarkable number of lives every year in most industrialized nations are diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And diabetes, of course, at least type 2 diabetes, is an issue with poor blood sugar regulation and control. It is important to keep in mind that no studies are perfect and no studies can give you all of the answers. So I still think there's a lot that we don't know about polyphasic sleep. And my job as a scientist is to remain as open-minded as possible in terms of unknown things that we've not yet discovered, unknown potential benefits that could, for example, outweigh all of the detrimental and profoundly deleterious consequences on sleep and the brain and the body. And it's also important to note, by the way, that that review also had some limitations. All of the studies that they reviewed were all English language studies in terms of origin. So if there are other studies out there written in other languages than English, we don't yet understand them in terms of the evaluation from that review. And all of those studies were focused on adults. They didn't look across the entire lifespan. So keep those things in mind. But in truth, I think if you read that article, it's very clear the standpoint and the position that those authors had in terms of an outcome. So taking a step back, 
what have we learned here today? Well, what we've learned is that there are lots of different versions of polyphasic sleep, and it seems to have some fascinating and utterly quirky origin stories in history. We've also discovered that there is no scientifically controlled study to date that can demonstrate any or prove any of the claimed benefits that have been suggested for a polyphasic sleep schedule. Not for sleep, not for the brain, not for the body. Instead, based on the weight of the evidence as it stands, the exact opposite is true. Sleep is worse. Brain performance is worse. Body health is worse. So how best then can I summarize the case of polyphasic sleep versus science? Put simply, sleeping like a baby, if you're an adult, is a very unwise decision. And of course, each individual must make their own choices. I, as a scientist, I can't tell anyone, I have no right to tell anyone how to live their life. And for anything in life, my motto is that as long as you're happy and as long as you're not hurting yourself or other people, which by the way, may actually be a concern when it comes to car crashes due to microsleeps caused by chronic sleep deprivation by way of polyphasic sleep. So either causing harm to yourself or causing harm to others or both because of that schedule. Keeping that in mind, then I would simply say live how you wish. Again, as long as you're happy and you're not hurting yourself or other people. And with that, I will offer you a final wish of a different kind, which is a wish for restful slumber for you and those you love. Take care and bye from me. <laughs>